Vaccines. So much controversy in that one word. In this episode, we hope to shed some light on why the claim that vaccines are safe and effective is a lie. Our goal is not to polarize, but to encourage people to question what we've been told and to do additional research before making decisions. We'll talk through issues with some of the key players in the industry, the legal protections granted to vaccine companies, and the faulty research behind the CDC's claims. Please keep in mind that this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Now, let's jump into the episode. Welcome to the Happy Healthy Strong Podcast. Our goal is to equip you with the knowledge and tools you need to make lasting changes in your health. Society has trained us to think that Western medicine is the answer to long-term health, but this approach only treats symptoms and never addresses the root cause. Without a new approach, our community will experience unnecessary sickness and suffering. We teach the functional health model to educate and empower listeners on their journey to a happier, healthier, and stronger life. My name is Paige, and I'm a certified holistic health coach. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Alex Arguello, doctor of chiropractic and functional health practitioner. Join us as we unpack some of the most pressing health challenges facing our community today. Welcome back to the Happy Healthy Strong podcast. Today, we are going to be talking, we don't even know if this podcast is going to last on the internet. That's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about vaccines. But before we jump into that topic, we wanted to give you our workout recap because it's Saturday morning at the gym. So we'll let Alex take it from here. Yep. So like we said on our last show, we wanted to kind of just let you guys in on what we do on Saturday mornings before we do the show. So we have a New City Fitness has a Saturday morning class where any of the members um, can come and get their last workout of the week in. Um, so Paige and I do that before we, we jump on the podcast. And today we did what's called a chipper workout, meaning you chip away at all the reps. And today was a lot of reps. Um, and the other part of a chipper is you start at one number. So like today we started at 100 and you go down. Today we went down to 20. And you can't move on to the next movement until you're done with all the reps at whatever movement you start with. So we started with double unders, which is a jump rope movement where you have to um, do two, what we would call them, revolutions or whatever yeah. they call it. Um, that's, that's one rep. So we did 100 of those, each partner. So it's a partner workout. I don't know if I just said that already, but we do 100 double unders each. And then we move on to, um, me and my partner did what's called a ski erg, where we're kind of acting like we're cross-country skiing, and you guys did a row erg, so you're acting like you're rowing. We did 90 calories of that, and then we went to back to the double-unders and did 80, and then we went to some barbell movements. So the three barbell movements today, we did deadlift, we did what's called a hang power clean, and we did a shoulder to overhead. So we have the barbell on our shoulders, and we're putting it over our head to extend our arms and coming back down. And then the last movement was rope climbs. So we climbed a, a rope, touched the ceiling, or did a modified version of that. And that was the workout. It took about 20 minutes for you guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to say, for people listening who know me, don't think that I'm doing all of the things that he's saying. <laughs> well, you're <laughs> doing, doing a like version of it. Yeah, yes. exactly. A very modified version. So single unders instead of the double unders. Yeah. Um, just lighter weight on the barbell, but you're using a barbell. 
and yeah. then uh, a modified rope climb where you just kind of hold onto the rope, lower yourself down to the ground, and then climb back up to stand up. Right. So that hopefully for the average people out there sounds a little bit more doable. Yes. <laughs> you can do it too. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So jumping into this topic, this is pretty um, just a hot topic, especially yep. over the last couple of years in our country. But you're going to give us an overview of the whole industry as a whole. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So like you said, hot topic. Uh, I mean, this is one that you can lose family and friends over, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking before we started recording that I'm hoping this is not going to be a super long episode. But when I get into talking about topics like this, stuff that has just been in my mind for whatever the last 15 years tends to come out. So hopefully it's not... We're not going to get too much into that stuff, but yeah, I've been, so just give you some background here. Um, I have six children. Um, my, f- my oldest child is about to turn 19 in early August, so in a couple weeks, a few weeks, and we vaccinated him. I might have already told this, because I, I know th- we've yeah, done we something about... Yeah, we did in our pregnancy series, I think okay, we talked yeah, so a little I'd, bit about I'd this. I vaccinated him for the first two years of life, because we were young parents, didn't know much about health at all, and or healthcare, so we kind of trusted... Um, not only doctors, but we trusted just what everybody else did, um, which was totally fine. I mean, we did we had no idea what we were doing, so we we sought wisdom mm-hmm. right of other people. It wasn't until I got to Palmer where I really first heard anybody question the validity of of vaccines in terms of their safety and um, effectiveness. And at that time, I already had, like I said, the one child, and we were on our way of having another child. So I was like, man, I should look into this. Um, this is new for me, and I have going to be having two children, and we definitely wanted more. So I wanted to, to be able to do my own research. So this is something that I've been looking into for at least 14 years, probably. Um, probably longer than that, I guess, if Tatum's 19 years kind of fly by. When <laughs> <you> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, th- this stuff... I haven't talked about it in a long time, um, so I'm kind of s- a little bit out of the loop in terms of what do people actually believe um, still. And I know, like you referenced the COVID stuff, I think opened people's eyes up a lot more to this type of thing. Yeah. Um, but when I seen the COVID stuff happen and everybody's like, you know, doubting or, or having some mistrust in like the CDC and the FDA and all of this kind of governmental regulatory bodies, I'm like... I've been saying this for 14 years. Right, right. <laughs> this is stuff that <laughs> this I was taught news. a long time ago. Yeah. But yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Like you mentioned, we're going to talk about kind of the whole vaccine world in general, vaccine industry. Um, and then next week we'll get specific to the flu shot because I think uh, for our listeners anyway, it's probably more um, pertinent to their um, individual health, right? Mm-hmm. In s- as opposed to the childhood vaccination schedule. I'm sure some of our listeners have um, children that they right. care about this. but And we do ha- we did talk about this in reference to that in our pregnancy yeah. series. So I'll find that lep- episode and link to that in the notes. Cool, cool. But here's the lie. Vaccines are completely safe and effective. Now, y- that might sound like I'm um, trying to make it stu- too specific so that you know, of course, that's a lie. Nothing can be completely safe and effective. Right. But that's actually the mantra that you hear from the f- pro-vaccine camp. Safe and effective. Safe, safe and effective. Safe <laughs> and effective, actually. <laughs> which is really anybody in public health or conventional medical space. Um, again, since COVID, I think a lot more people are, are at least questioning things. But think about the past 15 years since I've been looking to it. Anybody, again, that is conventional medical space, public health, are all really pro, 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 pro-vaccine. And this is the claim. The claim is that vaccine adverse effects are pretty much non-existent. This is the Department of Health and Human Services website. It says, 
Serious side effects from vaccines are extremely rare. For example, if one million doses of a vaccine are given, one to two people may have a severe allergic reaction. So that's the claim that <laughs> I would want to challenge. And again, that we're calling, we're calling a lie. Mm -hmm. And just that statement, again, this is the Department of Health and Human Services. They, they narrow it down to just an allergic reaction. Right. right? And they say one or two out of a million doses that are given are going to have a severe allergic reaction. And that's all you have to worry about. Yeah. Right. So if, if that was the case, if allergic reactions are all you had to worry about, then maybe. And one in a million. Play. And one in a million. All right. So that's what I wanted to, to kind of dive into. And I thought maybe the best ways to, uh, to do it is a little different than how we typically talk about it. And I wanted to um, reference a, a show. Uh, I'm sure at least some of our listeners have heard of the Joe Rogan podcast. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Probably the most popular podcast there is. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I don't listen to it a ton, but sometimes they have he has some people on there that I that I am interested in, so I'll listen. And anyway, I listened to one that he did a few weeks ago, or I think back in the middle of June, with Robert Kennedy Jr. So Robert F. Kennedy Jr., where he was Robert Kennedy was able to talk at length about the vaccine industry. So. I thought just going through some of that and talking about the things that he talked about and commenting on them would be would be helpful um, for this topic. And then we'll post a link to hopefully the full show. Yeah, which is three over three yeah, hours. Yeah, he always interviews so. people for three hours. So, yeah. Um, buckle up if you want to Buckle up. That that's one. right. That's right. So, yeah, we'll post that. Um, but this show is fascinating to me. So, again, I, I've been looking to this stuff for a long time. Robert F. Kennedy was somebody that I, I found in the beginning. So, well over t 10 years now. Um, I'm listening to his speeches. I'm listening to him being interviewed. I'm reading stuff that he's written. Uh, but most of the time, it's in the context of some type of natural health media has him on and they're interviewing him, right? So they're, they're on the same page. They're asking him questions just to kind of bring up their own argument, those type of things. But if you know anything about Joe Rogan, he has people on there a lot of times that he disagrees with. Um, or he just wants to learn more about. And even though it's, it's something that he might disagree with, he lets them um, he lets them say what they have to say. Mm -hmm. So this is probably the biggest audience that Robert Kennedy's ever had. Um, and definitely more than likely the most diverse audience uh, of people that are listening that are probably think he's crazy. Um, and then other people that um, were open to what he said and listened. And then of course there's the people like myself who are on the same page as him. So, um, but this is something that, that Kennedy said, he said that he has never been able to do what he did on the Joe Rogan show on any other show that he's ever been a part of that. That's like the Joe Rogan show. And what he meant is typically people that interview him are limiting to what he can say because they're scared that you have the, of the backlash, right? Mm -hmm. If he yeah. says something, you know, that there's going to get them canceled. He says something that's going to get them pulled off of the network, whatever it is. Right. So this was like the first time that he was able to. And if you listen to it, you'll see he goes on for like an hour and a half where Joe doesn't really have to say anything. And he just kind of spits all of this stuff about, about the vaccine industry. So again, pretty yeah, fascinating good platform for that. Pretty fascinating. Yeah. So Yeah. Before we get there, let me just explain for those of you who are like, well, who in the world is Robert F. Kennedy? Um, I'm just going to read this from Wikipedia to keep it simple. RFK Jr. is an American environmental lawyer and author who has promoted an anti-vaccine propaganda and public health-related conspiracy theories. Kennedy is a son of US, former U.S. Attorney General and Senator Robert F. Kennedy and the nephew of former U.S. President John F. Kennedy. He has also announced his campaign for the 2024 presidential election, challenging current president Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination. So that's what Wikipedia says. Now I would take an issue with Wikipedia's description right. of the anti-vaccine propaganda yep. and health-related conspiracy theories, but 
that's Wikipedia. Right. I don't really think that's fair for RFK Jr., but uh, I think some of that will come out in what we talk about today. So, like I said, <coughs> we're just going to dive through this interview, and uh, I'll make some comments. Um, the first thing that I thought was, was significant was Kennedy starts to talk about when he first got exposed to vaccine safety science. And it's an amazing story, and this is where I have to hold my tongue of telling backstories and stuff, so hopefully you guys <laughs> will go listen. But basically, he, he was an environmental lawyer, was studying mercury's impact on the oceans and how it was making people sick, so he was suing people for all of this stuff. And then he, every time he would go do a talk about it, moms would show up and say, hey, if you really care about the dangers of mercury, you need to look into vaccines. And he ignored them, ignored them, ignored them, until one lady was super persistent and brought him a stack of a bunch of um, vaccine research and said, I'm not leaving your doorstep until you read this. So that's how he kind of got into this whole thing, basically forced into it by some passionate moms. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, absolutely. So when he started to look into the scientific literature on vaccines, he very quickly realized that there was this big difference between what the public health officials were saying and what the peer-reviewed published studies were saying. So public health officials are saying one thing about vaccines. When he actually looked at the peer-reviewed research, it was saying something different about vaccine safety. Now, maybe that's not surprising to people, but I think it should be. If public health officials are going to be trustworthy, then they should probably be basing things on, on good science, especially when it comes to children and uh, stuff that's mandated by the federal government to do should definitely be based on, on good science. But what he was seeing is, is was not good on, on vaccine safety. So what he did is he's like, okay, I'm going to start calling these public officials because he had relationships, right? He was you know, John F. Kennedy's nephew and Robert F. Kennedy's son. Yeah. So he had connections. So he called uh, a guy named Francis Collins. Um, if you're familiar with him, he's the head of the National Institute of Health, actually just retired recently. And then Kathleen Stratton, who was the, the head of the National Academy of Science, and then a few other people who were getting big dogs in the public health space. Um, and he just called them to ask some questions. He said, hey, this is what I'm reading about um, vaccine safety science. Um, can you answer these questions? And what he realized very quickly is that none of them could answer his questions. Wow. All of these people that are highly promoting, <coughs> you know, vaccine schedule, vaccine safety, effectiveness, all that stuff, they could not answer um, his questions, which made him kind of think, are these people actually even reading the science, right? Or are they just getting um, kind of canned answers that they're, that they're promoting to people that, you know, pharmaceutical companies are giving them or something like that. So he continued to ask, he continued to push and... After being challenged enough, these officials told Kennedy, said, hey, your questions are too detailed. We are not vaccine experts, but we do have vaccine experts, so why don't you talk to them? And they referred him to a man named Paul Offit. So Paul, Dr. Paul Offit is a uh, pediatrician, I think he's a pediatrician, um, Boston Children's Hospital, which is, I think, considered the best children's hospital in the country. Um, so Paul Offit. It was who they referred him to as the expert on, on vaccines. Now, this is very interesting and didn't surprise me at all. When I was doing a lot of my research back in you know, 2007, and I would read things, I would listen to things, kind of the biggest pro-vaccine advocate was, was Paul Offit. He was kind of referred to as the, the foremost expert on, on vaccines um, in the world. What's interesting about Paul Offit is he is a vaccine developer. So he's a pediatrician, but he's also developed a he vaccine. Has a financial interest. Yeah. He made almost $200 million on one vaccine, a rotavirus vaccine that was put into this, the vaccine, the mandated schedule um, for children. He developed with the Merck um, Pharmaceutical Company. And now he's, again, the, the foremost expert on, 
on vaccine safety. If you have questions on if vaccines are safe and effective, you go to this guy. Now, of course, that just because he's made almost $200 million, that does not automatically make this guy corrupt, right? Doesn't mean he's not the expert on vaccine safety, but at the very least, it's a, like you said, a conflict flag. Yeah. of interest, mm-hmm. right? If he's making the, that kind of money from vaccine, I would suspect just being a human and you know, just human nature, um, it, he would probably have a hard time being unbiased when asked questions about about vaccines, you know, which makes his um, opinion kind of questioning the trustworthiness of his of his opinion, because um, he's definitely not potentially not be unbiased. He's definitely not going to be negative, you know, on the vaccine industry. And I've heard interviews of him saying, "This is," I'm paraphrasing, um, but he says, "Yes, there's a lot of corruption that happens at pharmaceutical companies, but not on the vaccine side." <laughs> is what he says. The same companies are doing <laughs> pharmaceutical drugs and vaccines. And he says, yeah, this is corrupt. They've done some corrupt things, but none of that stuff happens on, on the vaccine side. Again, um, th- this is, maybe he is the best guy to do it, but at least that we should be questioning some of his conflicts of, of interest there. But this is a guy that the government is promoting to those who have important questions about vaccine safety. Very odd, very odd situation that we're in for sure. But Kennedy reports that when he actually did call off it, so he said, okay, I'll call this guy. And he calls him that with his questions, he caught Paul Offit in a lie. And here's the lie. And this hopefully would just make sense to people. We'll get into some of this more next week when we talk about flu shots specifically. But Kennedy asked Offit, why is it that the CDC and other state regulators recommend that pregnant women not eat tuna fish due to its mercury content, but the CDC recommends that pregnant women get mercury-containing flu shots every trimester? Simple question, Right. Why can't they have the mercury that's in the fish, but they can have the mercury injected into them with a a flu shot? Now, the amount of mercury that's in tuna is not even close to the amount of mercury that's in a flu shot. And again, giving it to pregnant women. But Paul Offit's answer to this question was saying that, well, Mr. Kennedy, there's two different types of mercury. One is bad and one is harmless. The one that is harmless is in the flu shot. The one that is bad is in... (laughs) The ocean is what he said, which is comical. You just laughed. Yeah. So thanks for that. <laughs> because we now know mercury is one of the most toxic substances on the entire planet, right? I think it's, what is it, uh, uranium maybe? There's just one other metal, heavy metal, that's yeah. more toxic than, than mercury. Wow. A thousand times more toxic than lead, which we screen for for kids when they go to school. Right. right? Don't want any of them having lead poisoning. Um, and mercury is a thousand times more more toxic than that. But this is where he got it. So when mercury started to be introduced into vaccines back in the 1930s, there were, of course, people that were questioning that. were like, mercury, you're going to put mercury in a vaccine and, and inject it into people? So uh, Eli Lilly, who was the company at the time, I don't think it was called Eli Lilly at the time, but what eventually became Eli Lilly, um, they said, uh, no, this is perfectly fine to inject this mercury into, um, into anybody because it has a very short half-life. It, it, the body excretes it very quickly. Now, they could never show any sort of scientific evidence that that was the case, any sort of good science that says it's excreted um, very quickly. Um, But somehow for 70 years, they were able to convince people that this is perfectly fine. But then in 2003, the CDC, actually a scientist at the CDC, did some research that said, well, let's actually look at this and see if this is the case. So what he did is um, he looked at the blood of children who had eaten uh, tuna fish sandwiches, so mercury contained tuna fish sandwiches, and then he looked at their blood, and he found that it took 64 days for the mercury that was in the tuna fish to leave their bloodstream. So it has a 64-day half-life, if you're familiar with half-lives. But that was called methylmercury. 
scientific word. 64 days. So that is something that stays in the blood supply a long time. And then he looked at the blood of kids who were vaccinated with mercury-containing vaccines, and he said that that mercury, which is called ethyl mercury, different type of mercury. So, so far, Paul Office is not lying. There's two different versions of mercury. Mm-hmm. That was gone within a week. So methyl takes 64 days. Ethyl takes a week. So they, that was where Eli Lilly was saying is excreted quickly from, from the bloodstream. So it's not harmful. It doesn't stay around long enough to cause any sort of harm. So he, this guy in 2003 finally did the research that Eli Lilly was claiming. I don't know why it took 70 years to do it, but that's what happened. But here's the problem. Other scientists in 2003 started contacting the CDC asking this question. Again, just a basic question. Well, if the, if the mercury is excreted, how? What happens to the mercury? Where does it, where does it go? Does it come out in the urine? Does it come out in the stool? Does it come out in your sweat? Um, where does it go? And so then the... National Institute of Health, again, the one that was headed by Francis Collins, one of the people that um, Kennedy was calling, they got involved and they did their own study, but they did this study on monkeys instead of children. And you'll get to the reason why, but they did the same study, fed them something with tuna fish, and the other ones were injected with a vaccine. But unlike children, monkeys, they could sacrifice those monkeys. They could kill those monkeys and look inside of their body. And one of the things they did is they sacrificed them preserve their brains and then they cut their heads open and looked at their brains to see if they could find anything Uh-oh. and what do you think they found in the brain mercury yeah so oh they realized that the mercury crossed the blood brain barrier within a week not oh it, it wasn't excreted from the body in a week it went it left the bloodstream crossed the blood brain barrier and got into the brain of these monkeys calling causing significant inflammation in the brain so when Offit says to kennedy that the mercury in vaccines is harmless kennedy asked him well how do you know it's harmless and he says, well, because there was a study done in 2003 by the CDC that says it's excreted from the body in seven days. It has a very long half-life, so there's not long eno- it's not long round long enough to cause any harm. Mm-hmm. To which Kennedy answers, but that's true, but what about the study that the NIH did on the monkeys that shows that it doesn't cross the blood, br- or doesn't it get excreted, it crosses the blood-brain barrier and gets into the brain. And he said that there was just complete silence on the phone. So after... Yeah, because w- how can you answer <laughs> <laughs> Right, the the foremost expert on vaccines, right? right? Oh not gosh. not referencing the most um, recent study. Oof. So he said there was complete silence, and then finally, after a long pause, off it says, "Okay, you're right about that." But there have been other studies since then that shows that it's harmless and and it gets excreted from the body, doesn't go to the brain. And I'll th- I'll send you those studies, he said to Robert Kennedy, and. Robert Kennedy says to this day he's still never been sent any studies by Dr. Paul Offit. It's just been completely, wow. completely ignored. Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, that's scary. No, this is very scary. Now, this is just Kennedy's side of the story, right? So, yeah. you know, we wouldn't want to just believe this wholeheartedly without looking in, into it more uh, on mm-hmm. the other side. So you can go and listen to Paul Offit. You can read his books. He's got a bunch of books and does a bunch of interviews and, of course, you know, claims to be the expert on vaccines. So you can listen to this side. Like you said, this is at least a crazy, crazy story. The heads of the top public health organizations on the planet don't know the research, and then the expert that they send people to for answers either is dishonest or also doesn't know the research himself. Right. Um, but these are the people making decisions about what should happen with, with vaccines. So, again, should open up our eyes. But that's just involving vaccine-containing mercury. Um, mercury has been removed from most vaccines, but it should at least bring question to the validity of anything that's being claimed in the vaccine world um, just because if th- that's how they responded um, with in this situation, and then they eventually responded by removing mercury from vaccines. Um, then we have to we have to at least uh, that should just open up our eyes to yeah. maybe there is some other stuff that that's happening, right? 
maybe not completely safe and effective like we've been told. Absolutely. But let's move on to this next piece here. I think, oh my gosh, we're already at 22 <laughs> minutes. Let me fly through this Mister, next this one. This is going to be a short episode. Um, yeah. Okay. Next piece he talks about, he moves on to talking about what happened in the vaccine industry in the late 70s, which led to some significant se- um, legislation in 1986. In the late 70s, there was a vaccine that came out called the DTP vaccine. It was supposed to protect children from something called diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. You've probably at least heard of tetanus there. This vaccine was extremely dangerous. Listen to this. It was either causing severe brain damage or killing one in 300 kids Yikes. back in the 70s. What the heck? One in 300 kids were brain damaged or being killed. Unbelievable. But this thankfully caused the, the United States and Europe pull it off the market. So obviously can't have this going on. Um, he does make the comment in the show that Bill Gates still, out of his goodness of his heart, provides it to millions of kids in Africa and Southeast Asia. Same vaccine um, that's been taken off the market. Um, but I'll let people choose to listen to that if they want. Mm-hmm. The big thing here is what pharmaceutical companies did in response to this vaccine. Pfizer, who was the manufacturer, which this is the same Pfizer that's in trouble now with all the COVID stuff, was getting sued over and over again from this adverse reaction. So all of these kids that were getting brain damaged or obviously losing their life, families were suing Pfizer and when you get sued, it costs you money, right? So there's all these downstream um, liability issues that Pfizer was having. So they came to the government, which was the Reagan administration at the time, and they asked for complete immunity from liability on these vaccines. What? They basically said, we're asking not to be sued by families if kids were harmed by the vaccines that we're making because we're losing too much money. (laughs) They said if they don't get that, then they will stop making vaccines. And at the time, everybody thought vaccines were God's gift to the earth, right? The greatest intervention that's ever happened in modern medicine. So, and it saves people's lives all the time. So Ronald Reagan was like, well, his first response was actually great. He said, well, why don't you just make the vaccine safe then and you won't lose money? Right. But this is what they said. And I know this is something that most people don't know, or maybe they know it and they've forgotten it. But he's, (laughs) this is how the vaccine industry responded. Ronald Reagan says, why don't you just make the vaccine safe and you won't get sued? They said that vaccines are completely, are vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. That's the phrase that they used. We can't make them safe, Mr. President, because vaccines are unavoidably unsafe, meaning there's no way to make them wow. safe. And that's the phrase that's used in the statute, in the law, that's still in there to this day. Vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. So anybody that claims that vaccines are completely safe has to answer to why did the president, why did Congress, why it eventually got to the Supreme Court, why did they all, why were they all convinced to give pharmaceutical companies in 1986 complete immunity because they were getting sued so much by these completely safe and completely effective vaccines? This is when we need like video streaming podcasts because I'm speechless. Yeah, exactly. Like just <laughs> exactly. Draw, draw, it's draw. wild when you actually when you actually um, look into yeah. into this stuff. <sighs> and I'm not saying that you know if you listen to this you know you sh- should be completely on this side of of anti-vaccinations, but it should at least open up your eyes to to look into this stuff a little more and say, you know, this is what this whole series has been about, right? It's not saying never take a statin medication, never take an antidepressant, never go to the medical industry because we went through the whole history of modern medicine. It's don't just believe that everything is safe and effective. Don't just believe right. that everything is the best way to do things. Yep. Open up your eyes. Make sure that you're you're having wisdom when you seek, you know, health solutions. Totally, totally. 
last thing here, la the other thing that happened in 1986, and this is called, so this whole thing was called the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, um, is they came up with what's called VAERS, so V-A-E-R-S, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. Now, this is the system that physicians or I, I believe even parents are supposed to use to report any vaccine injury. injury. So you get a vaccine with your kid, you recognize something happens, even if something has just swelling around the area, you're supposed to report this to your physician. That physician is supposed to report it to the VAERS system so that they can keep track of everything that happens from a, of a vaccine. So great thing, right? We now have a, a system that's mandated by the federal government to say, hey, if there's any sort of injury from a vaccine, it needs to be reported so we can track these things and see if we need to change anything. Um, problem is the system didn't work at all. They had huge problems with reporting and it is estimated that only one in 100 adverse events are reported. So back to that whole one in a million thing, right? The claim is one in a million adverse, even just um, allergic reactions. Well, if one in 100 are only reported, of course you could get a number like one, <laughs> one in a million. Well right? that's what just about all the other things that happen to a kid that we don't even know is driven or connected to the vaccine. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All that stuff has to be answered to. And, and mm -hmm. I don't know how much time we want to go here, but I have a whole other thing on that whole thing too, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see. Um, so th yeah, that the, the reporting system um, was, they've knew it for years that it was severely underreported, but still claiming one in 1 million, one in 1 million. Mm -hmm. Right. But then the CDC back in 2010, they did this computer analysis where they had the, com uh, the computer, some type of software that looked at how many adverse events were more than likely happening? And what that um, study showed is it was more like one in 37. That's a lot. That's a lot different than one in a million. A lot right? different. Yes. No, it was just a computer, right? It was just th the computer kind of making educated guesses. They don't really, the computer doesn't know if the, if the, you know, if it was a, a vaccine adverse reaction, but based off of all the medical claims that happened and then all the vaccines that were given they put mm -hmm. that all the information together and they sure. said it's more like one in 37 wow. again so we can't take that one in 37 as factual but <laughs> it's a lot different than one in a million Oof. and again makes the one in a million claim an absolute lie yep so really quick i got two minutes um that should probably be enough but one more thing the current schedule for the government mandated childhood immunization schedule is 16 vaccines given in 72 doses uh, I don't know how many you had, but it was more than likely a lot less than that. Right. And some of our listeners had far less than that. But 16 vaccines given over 72 doses, and this is recommended for all children. Doesn't matter what race you are, doesn't matter what size you are, doesn't matter what what you know what happened at birth, any of that stuff. That's what's recommended. So I want you to think about this just for a minute. Drug companies get to make a product. They have no liability if that product harms somebody. They have very little marketing cost for that product because the government mandates it for all kids to get this particular product. And then they'd have to spend very little money on proper safety testing for that product because they don't have to do the normal proper safety testing that it costs billions of dollars for, for to get a drug on the market. Yeah. What do I mean? Well, the gold standard that I think we've talked about before in research is something called a double-blind randomized controlled trial. It means that the person receiving the medical intervention doesn't know if they're actually receiving the real intervention or a fake intervention, so what's something called a placebo. And the double blind is the person administering the intervention also is blind to it, doesn't know if they're giving it or not. So that's kind of the gold standard in medicine, and that's, that's at least what they claim, and I, I believe that that is a good way of doing research. Well, you know that none of the vaccines that's on the current schedule has ever been tested like that. Not a single one of them. 
and especially the whole schedule together has never been tested in a double-blind randomized control trial. So they're, on one hand, claiming this is the best way to do research. This is how we know if something actually is safe, if something actually is effective. But then none of these things that they're claiming safety and effectiveness, again, complete safety and effectiveness, um, have they done that type of research on. Right. And the claim is, is it would be unethical. Sure. Right? So the, really the only way of doing that is saying, okay, we have this tetanus vaccine. We're going to take 10,000 kids and we're going to give the tetanus vaccine to it. And we're going to take 10,000 kids and we're going to um, not give them the, the tetanus vaccine. And then we're going to track them for 10 years and see who the healthier who, if some has more allergies, has more asthma, if there's any autism, any of that type of stuff, we'll be able to actually see. We'll have to do the research instead of just claiming things. But they say it would be unethical for these kids not to get the tetanus vaccine, so right. they will never do that type of study. Hopefully, eventually, they'll do some sort of study with, like, the parents who choose to not vaccinate, right? Vert and there is enough of them now. Yeah. There is yes, enough of them. you could get And there is some of that. There's what are called observational studies that mm -hmm. they can look at. They've looked at the Amish community who don't don't do vaccines. And, you know, but it's, they just claim, well, that's a small sample size. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not a, not something that, um, when I was part of the Maximize Living Organization, of course, we had thousands of chiropractors that were part of our organization and, you know, all thought the same way. So then as thousands of chiropractors have kids, yeah. Especially if they're like me and Emily, right. they have lots of kids. So <laughs> the, got a big the, sample. The, the pool <laughs> is just building up. Of you know, let's just look at this group of people over here, you know, who are not Amish, right? Who are not yeah. living a completely radical lifestyle, like you know the Amish do, away from everything else. Mm -hmm. um, that was something that was kind of on our minds to always do, but it yeah. obviously never happened. But you gotta I think get this back together. Yeah, <laughs> you don't sure. have enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that should just be. So when you think about the, the mercury thing, of just the questionability of actually even looking at what the study says, and you look at the liability thing with drug companies who they can just do whatever they want, you know, and I'm not trying to claim them as evil and say that, you know, they would intentionally harm somebody just because they don't have to, you know, care about the liability stuff. But they're also human beings, and they're also money corrupts people all the time. So who knows, you know, what, what's actually happening there. And then you look at the, the lack of safety studies on this stuff that yeah. at least should say, hey, this is something I should probably look a little bit more into do you have some resources that we could give if someone is like starting to question this and wants to you know yep. this is just the tip of the iceberg they yep. want to know more well so what i used to do there is um so i got introduced to this um by people that were pretty extreme right so i was reading a lot of material that was if you weren't ready to hear it that it would have been like whoa this is kind of a little bit too much for me so I used to just recommend, I would wait on that type of stuff and I would give them like a, maybe a medical doctor who slows down on vaccines. And I still do that. Um, I'm trying to remember his first name. Oh, I'm not going to remember the name at all. <coughs> I think I gave it on that previous podcast. The Vaccine um, Friendly Plan yep, book? Yep. Is it Paul something? Paul Nelson, maybe? Yeah, I, I think. remember. Anyway, that's a good one. Um, so I used to give them stuff like that. That's a little bit not too far um, yeah. extreme. But I think listening to Robert Kennedy is a good good thing to do. Mm -hmm. you, you, I mean, you might think he's extreme, but he was somebody who had nothing to do with the vaccine industry. He was just an environmental lawyer, right? He was trying to help people not die from toxicity. He was trying to clean up the oceans. He's trying to clean up the environment. And he couldn't just make a claim. He would have to say, hey, what's the science say about this particular toxin and, and, and the amounts of it in the ocean and what's happening to the fish and what's happening to the people who live around it? And he would win cases, right? So this is legitimate stuff. Yeah. So it's not some crazy person just trying to make a claim because they're trying to get views on, on the internet, yeah. right? This is a guy who is intelligent. This is a guy who's well-read. This is a guy who has experience of suing people. So he has to know the science. Mm -hmm. um, and he just goes through. And, and then he also has connections. So he can talk to the, the you know, the gov top the government officials. Guy, yeah. 
um, I would say listen to that interview. And if you, and I definitely don't want to be recommending Joe Rogan, right? Because <laughs> you know he's doing a bunch of stuff on his show that I would not want people to be paying attention to or for sure following. Right. But find another interview that he does mm -hmm. um, and listen to him. Just listen to his stuff. I think he's a good place to start because he also doesn't just make claims. He says. There's a study done in 2010 by the CDC. There's a, done a stu study done in 1970 by the National Institutes of Health. Like he references everything that he says. Yeah. Um, and then you can go and look at that stuff for yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you can look at an, uh, the opposing view on that same type of study and, and do those type of things. So, yep. yeah, that's what I would recommend. Perfect. All right. Well, next week we're going to be diving in specifically to the flu shot. So that will be interesting, I think, and relevant for sure. Um, but, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Be sure to share this. I'm still crossing my fingers that we don't get, like, censored for this episode. But if the other one lasted, then we should. Right. Okay. Right. But, yeah, we appreciate you guys, your support, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.